Welcome to Andrew's Audio Tours of Early Christian Rome, the podcast that helps you see how Rome's most famous sites are connected to the New Testament and to the early church. This series of tours is designed to be used on the ground. Listen along on these tours and I'll walk you through what you see while you're standing at a particular spot in Rome. These are video podcasts, which means that they have images embedded at certain points. Depending on the device that you're using, you should be able to see some photos on your screen that will help you get the most out of this tour. St. Peter's Basilica is one of the premier sites of Christianity. It's said to mark the location where Simon Peter, one of Jesus' most important followers, was killed and buried. It's now the heart of the Roman Catholic Church, but is the story true? Is Peter really buried here? What would have brought a small-time Galilean fisherman all the way here to the capital of the Roman Empire? We'll find out in the next few minutes. Begin your tour by standing in front of St. Peter's in the circular space called St. Peter's Square. You can stand near the obelisk if the weather is pleasant. If it's not, feel free to shelter under the colonnade or anywhere else that's convenient. You're here in St. Peter's Square, or St. Peter's Piazza. It's often considered one of the most beautiful architectural designs in the world, and standing here you can probably understand why. This square is the work of the famous sculptor and architect Bernini. He created this space between 1656 and 1667. Two colonnades wrap around you, surrounding you with a total of 284 columns and 88 statues of saints. The colonnades are said to represent the arms of the church surrounding the faithful. In a moment, you can see an interesting optical illusion if you'd like. On each side of the obelisk is a fountain, and between the obelisk and each fountain, there's a stone disc in the pavement that marks the center of each colonnade. Standing on this disc and looking directly at the colonnade, it will appear as though the colonnade only has one row of columns rather than four. You can wander to those discs in a moment, but for now, the obelisk is what we are here to see. This obelisk was moved to this location in 1586, 80 years before the square existed in the form that you see here. Yet this obelisk is actually ancient. It was originally erected in Heliopolis, in what is now the city of Cairo in Egypt. Augustus, the first Roman emperor, he moved the obelisk to the Egyptian city of Alexandria. Then in 37 AD, the Roman Emperor Caligula moved it to a circus that stood just to the south of where you are now. In time, this circus became known as the Circus of Nero, and it's by this name that we know it today. Now, in the ancient world, a circus was not a traveling roadshow with clowns and tamed animals. A circus was a type of structure used for open-air entertainment. Circuses across the empire had a similar format. They were basically rectangular in shape, except that one of the shorter ends of the rectangle was a rounded semicircle. While a circus could serve many functions, they were very commonly used for racing. Therefore, a median, called a spina, ran most of the length of the track. The spina was decorated with columns, statues, and obelisks. On your screen, you can see a possible layout of the Circus of Nero. The exact orientation of the circus is disputed, all we know for certain is where this obelisk originally stood, because the obelisk was still in its original spot in 1586 
when it was relocated to St. Peter's Square, where you see it today. So the exact layout of the circus is conjectural, but we know that the Circus of Nero lay to the south of where you are now. This obelisk was placed on the Spina, approximately where our visitors now enter the Scavi to see the excavations beneath St. Peter's. So why are we so interested in this obelisk, and in the Circus of Nero where it once stood? Because almost certainly, this obelisk witnessed the martyrdom of St. Peter. It's believed that Peter was killed in the Circus of Nero, just to the south of where you're now standing, and beneath this obelisk which you see today. How did Peter die inside of this obelisk? And why was he buried here? Make your way inside St. Peter's Basilica now, and we'll see. Stand in the back of the nave, or the long central section of the church. This may take you a bit of time, so as you walk to the back of the nave, let me give you a bit of information on how we know everything that I'm about to tell you, and give you one caveat about what it means to know something from antiquity. Let's start with the caveat first. By convention, archaeologists and historians use the word know very often when describing events from ancient history. Yet in reality, it's very difficult to know what happened 2,000 years ago with absolute certainty. Take the assassination of U.S. President Kennedy as an example. For that event, we have video footage, dozens of eyewitnesses, forensic evidence, all kinds of other evidence, yet it was still possible for government investigators to disagree about who shot Kennedy. When we talk about antiquity, the situation is even muddier and even more complicated. There are not any photos or videos from the ancient world. We have some physical remains, but those don't tell us much on their own. We interpret the artifacts and tell a story based on them, but the story that we are recreating, reconstructing, might be wrong. Maybe we guessed wrong about what an artifact or site was used for, and we would never know that we were guessing wrong because everyone who could tell us died 2,000 years ago. Written records are also problematic. Very few people could write in the ancient world, and of what they did write, very little has survived for us today. The surviving records are fragmentary, and what has survived may not be representative of ancient life in general. Writings that have survived display some biases, just like modern writing do. Ancient authors made mistakes, just like we do. So we know that we shouldn't take any one person's account at face value from the ancient world, yet we're often dependent on a single surviving literary source to give us a history of certain years or certain locations. We have no choice but to accept that surviving account as authentic history, even when we can be sure that it probably didn't happen exactly as it was written. So you can see that when a historian tells you that they know something happened, what they're really saying is, we're pretty sure that it happened. Fortunately, with Peter's tomb, we have very good archaeological records and multiple literary sources to go on. It's true that we can't know with 100% absolute certainty that Peter was buried here. Without a time machine to go back in time and watch his body be placed into the ground, we can never have that kind of certainty. But, as much as we can be sure of anything in the ancient world, we know that we found Peter's tomb. With that out of the way, let's take that second question. How do we know that Peter was buried here? We know this from a very detailed archaeological excavation that was conducted beneath St. Peter's Basilica from 1940 to 1949. 
you can tour these excavations today. Now, if you haven't already made plans to tour them on this trip to Rome, don't get your hopes up. Space is extremely limited, and you typically have to book months in advance. But those excavations revealed everything that I'm about to tell you about Peter's tomb. As a result of these excavations, no one seriously doubts that Peter's tomb lay exactly where Christian tradition said that it did, beneath the high altar of St. Peter's Basilica. It really is remarkable. So often when archaeologists and historians begin to poke around in legends and traditions, those traditions are falsified, or at least they're shown to be only half true. But almost everyone agrees today that Peter was buried here. Now, where Peter's body is today is a bit more complicated. When the tomb beneath St. Peter's was opened, Peter's remains were not found. Later, some bones were produced from a different location, bones which were supposedly removed from the area without the knowledge of the archaeologists. The bones that were produced were consistent with remains expected from St. Peter, and they seemed to be encrusted with soil that matched the soil in the tomb. The Vatican displays these bones at the excavation site today and claims them as the remains of St. Peter. Now, are those really Peter's bones? Not everyone agrees on that, but essentially everyone agrees that Peter was once buried here, in this tomb beneath St. Peter's, in the spot that you are about to visit. Hopefully you've reached the back of the nave now. If you haven't, restart the tour when you're in that spot. Here we are in the back of St. Peter's Basilica. By most measures, this is the largest church in the world. In fact, when you walk forward through the nave in just a few minutes, you'll notice a set of bronze letters in the floor. These inscriptions along the length of the nave show the length of other cathedrals and churches around the world, demonstrating how much smaller they are than St. Peter's Basilica. It's a bit of showmanship that has always struck me as out of keeping with the humility of the historical Jesus. Yet, St. Peter's is undoubtedly impressive. There are 11 domes or cupolas, 778 columns, 395 statues, 135 mosaic panels, and 45 different altars. The building you're in now is actually the second massive church that stood on this spot. Old St. Peter's was built by the Emperor Constantine in the 300s AD. It was a very different structure than the building that you see today. Constantine's church was very similar in form to St. Paul's outside the walls, the church that still marks the spot where Paul was buried. But Constantine's church fell into disrepair, particularly when the popes spent 70 years living in France rather than Rome. So that church that Constantine built, it was demolished. Construction of the present St. Peter's Basilica began on April the 28th 1506, and it was completed 120 years later, on November 18, 1626. Ironically, creating the largest and most impressive church in Christendom led indirectly to splitting the church. The building of St. Peter's was partially financed by offering indulgences in exchange for contributions. The church promised that anyone who made a financial gift would see the punishment for their sins decreased in an indulgence. Martin Luther objected to the way indulgences were used, and his protest led eventually to the Protestant Reformation and the birth of all the Protestant churches that we know today. 
So the number of monuments, tombs, and art here in St. Peter's really boggles the mind. We cannot possibly cover even a fraction of it here. The one highlight that I'll mention is the Chapel of the Pieta, located directly to your right as you entered the nave. This is one of Michelangelo's most famous sculptures, finished in 1499. It depicts Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the body of her dead son after Jesus was removed from the cross. It's now housed behind a bulletproof glass, a precaution taken after the statue was seriously damaged by an act of vandalism in 1972. When you're ready, walk to the dome near the front of the church and then turn left to enter the left transept. You're looking for the painting on your screen, which hangs above a small altar and depicts a man being crucified upside down. Restart your tour when you're in the right spot. in front of you shows a man being crucified upside down. This man is Peter. According to the Christian scriptures, Peter was a fisherman from the backwater of Galilee in the Roman province of Judea. Jesus made Peter one of his twelve disciples, and after Jesus died, Peter became the first leader of the early church, though notably Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox Christians disagree over what this leadership meant for future generations of Christians. But all Christians agree that Peter was one of the most important figures in the early Christian movement. Outside the Christian scriptures, there is strong evidence from Christian authors that Peter eventually traveled to Rome. And there is strong evidence from both Christian authors and Roman historians that Peter was killed by the emperor Nero. It's quite possible that Peter was killed specifically because he was a Christian, making him one of the first martyrs of Christianity. A great fire swept through Rome and destroyed much of the city in July of the year 64, and a Roman historian named Tacitus says that Nero scapegoated the unpopular Christians and he blamed them for starting the fire. Peter's death likely occurred after the great fire of Rome in July of 64, but before the end of Nero's reign in June of 68. Tradition says that Peter considered himself unworthy of dying in the same manner that Jesus did so Peter asked to be crucified upside down. Perhaps that's true, or perhaps it is not. But what is almost certain is that Peter was killed during the reign of Nero, in the circus just to the south of where you're now standing, and beneath the obelisk, which we saw earlier. And thanks to the archaeological excavations beneath the Vatican, we have a fairly good idea of what happened next. Peter's body was taken down, presumably by fellow Christians, and buried in a simple earthen tomb in an empty field just to the north of the circus. This is where you're standing today. The tomb was unremarkable, just completely ordinary. It probably indicates that the first Christians of Rome were very poor. They had no financial resources to speak of. Yet they remembered and they revered Peter's tomb. And over the years, many Christian graves began to cluster around Peter's tomb. Future believers wanted to be buried near this first disciple of Christ. Turn around now and head back to the main altar beneath the dome. You want to stand near the sunken, pit-type area that's known as the Confessio. Restart your tour when you're in that spot, and we'll see what became of Peter's grave.
You're looking now into a sunken area that's called the Confessio. A Confessio is a tomb shrine for a Christian martyr, someone who died confessing the faith. Without joining one of the tours that I mentioned earlier, this is the closest that you can get to the grave of St. Peter. At this last stop, we'll see what happened after Peter was buried. An incredibly complicated process led to what you see today in St. Peter's, so the images on your screen will help you follow it all. Peter was buried in an open field. But around 150 AD, this area began to change very quickly and significantly. Nero's circus had largely been abandoned by that time. No games were held there any longer. So the field to the north of the circus was divided up and given to wealthy pagan families as a burial ground. They began to build elaborate above-ground mausolea. In quick succession, these began to almost encircle Peter's tomb. Whereas this had been an open field for a hundred years, by 160, Peter's grave was in a courtyard approachable only from the north. The east, the west, and the southern sides were completely enclosed by pagan tombs. If the construction of these large tombs continued, Peter's tomb might be erased entirely. Around 160, something complicated happened. A part of Peter's tomb was memorialized, and part of the tomb was built over. A sort of alleyway was built to give private access to a nearby pagan mausoleum. A wall was built to separate Peter's tomb from this alleyway and a memorial to Peter was built into the wall at the same time. The memorial consisted of two columns supporting a horizontal shelf. There was probably more to the monument above the shelf, but it hasn't survived, so we aren't sure exactly what the upper portion looked like. The memorial also contained a marble slab in the ground, correctly and accurately positioned over the remains of Peter's grave. The accuracy of positioning the marble slab over the grave shows that Christians seem to have preserved very accurately the information about Peter's death. Remember, Peter died in the 60s AD, and we're talking about a memorial built around 160 AD. In the span of less than 100 years, a young Christian could have seen Peter's burial, passed on that information in their old age to a younger Christian, and that Christian could have been alive to oversee the construction of Peter's memorial. We are very close in time to the event, which is a strong indication that this really is Peter's tomb. It was within living memory for Christians to preserve the information accurately, and they seem to have done so. As I said, this memorial to Peter was built into the wall that cut across his grave. The wall and the memorial seem to have been built at the same time, and the wall very clearly takes Peter's grave into account. The foundations of the wall are much shallower around the grave because the builders wanted to avoid disturbing it. It's hard to explain who built the wall and why they did it. Some think that Christians built the wall and the memorial to Peter. Perhaps Christians sacrificed a portion of Peter's tomb so that they could screen the remaining portion from pagan foot traffic and then Christians could worship here in private. Others think that pagans built the wall and Christians built the memorial. This would make it a sort of pagan-Christian partnership in which a pagan family built the wall to give private access to their mausoleum, but they made some concessions to Christians when building the wall. But from at least 160 onward, Peter's tomb was marked by a structure.
we know that Peter's tomb continued to be venerated by early Christians. Around 200, a priest in Rome boasted that the remains of those who had founded the Roman church could still be found on the road to Ostia and on the Vatican Hill. The remains on the road to Ostia refer to Paul's tomb, and those on the Vatican Hill refer to Peter's tomb. This veneration of Peter's small memorial continued until the reign of the Emperor Constantine. Constantine embraced Christianity as the preferred religion of the empire. He sponsored dozens of churches to mark significant sites from Christian history. Constantine wanted to build a church over Peter's tomb, but there was a problem. This space was still a place of pagan burial, covered with all those mausolea, and it was still a hillside that was unsuitable for building a giant structure. Constantine's solution took care of both problems at once. Builders removed the roofs from all of the mausolea and then filled them with 20,000 tons of earth to completely level the site. Old St. Peter's Basilica was built directly over those pagan mausolea. You're standing over all those tombs today. Constantine took Peter's humble funeral monument, that little marble slab, its two columns, and the shelf over it, and he encased the entire thing in marble. You can imagine it almost like a giant dresser, but built from precious marbles. He built a baldachin over it, supported by spiral columns reused from some other building in the ancient world. When old St. Peter's was torn down, the columns were saved and they were reused. If you look at the massive piers supporting the dome above you right now, you'll see the spiral columns from Constantine's Basilica about halfway up the piers. Bernini replicated the look of those spiral columns from Constantine's old baldachin on a massive scale when he made the baldachin for the new basilica. Almost 300 years after Constantine built his memoria around Peter's funerary monument, Pope Gregory the Great made major changes. He wanted to be able to celebrate Mass on top of Peter's tomb, so he raised the entire floor level so that it covered Constantine's memoria. He built an altar on top. Gregory also created a small recess in front of the memoria and the confessio from old St. Peter's in the back of the memoria. In the new St. Peter's Basilica, the recess in the front is known as the niche of the pallia, which you can see from where you stand now. The original confessio behind Peter's tomb is today called the Clementine Chapel, and you can still visit it in the Vatican grottos. These are the only two features from Constantine's original basilica that remain intact in their original locations today. Future popes installed various altars on top of Gregory's until it reached the form that you see today. The present altar was erected in 1594. Only the pope, or the cardinal that he delegates, can celebrate mass at this altar. The baldachin is the work of Bernini, built from 1624 to 1633. The dome above you, which was largely designed by Michelangelo, is almost 200 meters wide and it rises to a height of 135 meters. The words around the base of the dome are the Latin text of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's remarkable how literally the words of Jesus came to be fulfilled. The tomb of Peter, located directly below your feet, is the foundation for the largest church in the world. 
It is the foundation for the faith of millions of Roman Catholic Christians today. It's an amazing end for a humble fisherman from Galilee and a testament to how Peter's desire to share the story of Christ led him to live and to die at the very heart of the ancient Roman Empire. That's all for now. Gavin Spell is our audio engineer for these tours, and he also performs our music. If you have feedback about these tours, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at andrew at andrewgarnett.org. That's A-N-D-R-E-W at A-N-D-R-E-W-G-A-R-N-E-T-T dot org. I hope that we meet again soon, and for both of our sakes, when we do, I hope that we're standing in the streets of the Eternal City.